This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. That one you're dedicated to all the bicycle riders, seen? Bicycle rider, bicycle rider. Bike rider, my other bike rider. Bike rider, my other bike rider. Trust me, riding a bike is better. Bike rider, my other bike rider. Everybody should ride bicycle. Everybody should ride bicycle. Bike for me, bike for you. Good morning and welcome to this week's edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group radio show on Community Radio 3CR, 8.55am, digital streaming, uh, podcast, iTunes, the whole lot. And uh, we're a show about bicycles and related transport issues coming to to you from Melbourne, Australia. My name's Chris and I'd like to thank uh, Democracy Now! for the last hour of current affairs. On today's show, well, I've had to go and reach to the uh, emergency backup folder and these things happen, so I've tried to pull together a uh, informative show for you. I've got a bit of news for Dot Watchers. Uh, the Trans Am bike race um, has started for 2017 and, and there's a few people I know who are actually riding it this year, which is a 4,300 kilometre or mile um, race across America. Um, a bit about brick safety, uh, also how the Dutch got their bike lanes, and going back um, a long, long time ago about motor mania, about if you think uh, road rage is a uh, um, contemporary thing, uh, think again, systematic safety, uh, the principles behind Vision Zero, Zero, get it right, uh, this is from Canada, and uh, I noticed that there's kind of similar things about Vision Zero in Australia, but this is uh, really going back to engineering things in the right way the first time. And if I do get time after all that, it's a bit of local news. Anyway, over the last few days, um, for this is you know for us dot watchers who've been heavily involved, you know we got we got bitten in the last couple of months about watching the indie pack and some of the aftermath of things that occurred. But I got a bit before some sad events it got it was an immensely fun thing but over the last few days I've been watching Mike's last ride and that was hashtag Mike's last dot and trackleaders.com were showing the last ride for Mike Hall friends were carrying his ashes from Harrogate to Mid Wales this started on Thursday night and uh, there was memorial gathering in Wales I saw a picture on Instagram one of his mates I believe um, posing or you know standing with a backpack, small backpack between like three kegs of beer, and I think the backpack contained um, Mike Hall's ashes, where they'd taken him home. But I just thought it was quite fitting to see, you know. There was a, one of the most iconic images of the Indie Pack was that photo many of you would have seen of the glint in Mike's eyes as he was going through Bright and someone holding out a um, a beer, and it was like a man who was oh, I was going to come back for that after that phenomenal race from Fremantle across to Sydney, which many did, uh, many riders did uh, finish up with despite the sad events of the end of March. But Mike's last dot for dot watchers. But uh, I believe, you know, be more, be more Mike, ride like Mike, dot watching must go on. 
and uh, just noticing that the uh, quite a few familiar names from enduro cycling are going in the Trans Am bike race, and it started, I believe, on Saturday for Dot Watchers. And if you go to uh, Trans am bike race.com and then scroll down you'll see some dot watching stuff you can do further down the page the actual trans am thing it's kind of a little bit of balance between or between um events like race across america and tour divide so it's kind of you know the earlier tour divide and the ram thing it's yeah, you know, one's a supported race and the other one's being a bit you know it's actually more self-supported or off-roads but uh it's a little bit similar to the Euro Transcontinental, which I believe Rishi Fox is going to do this year and quite a few Australian riders. So I'll be looking more forward to dot watching and also for more conventional uh, stuff like road riding and the rest of it. Most of us would be uh, tapering our food intake and getting our sleeping patterns ready for Tour de France at the end of the month. Can't wait. Anyway, uh, brick safety. On to brick safety. Uh, this is a Twitter account that really took my uh, attention during the week. Um, it's Brick underscore safety. And the, basically the proviso for this account is all of us, brick throwers and people who get bricks thrown at them, need to learn to respect each other and share our streets. It's about road violence. If you're familiar with some of the formatting on Twitter, uh, you can quote an original tweet and put your comments on top. So basically, safe kids worldwide, safe kids. Helmets are great, but make sure your kids also wear knee and elbow pads and wrist guards while riding. Hashtag wheeled safely. Brick Safety has quoted this with, hard hats are great, but make sure your kids also wear steel boots, goggles, goalie gloves, shin pads, gum shields, and ideally full plate armour. And another bit of witticism from Brick Safety, which quoting Road Safety Great Britain, motorists and cyclists have joint responsibility for safety and gives a link to Road Safety GB into some further information. Brick Safety, um, you know, quote this with, Brick throwers and people who get bricks thrown at their heads have joint responsibility for not throwing bricks at people's heads. And Vision Zero from Canada, who also have a Twitter account, have chimed in with a bit of uh, on the thread of that and not getting hit by bricks. This is crucial. Anyway, I'll let you have a bit of a ponder about that and be back in a minute with some very interesting uh, stuff from 1950. The 3CR annual Radiothon is here and in 2017, 3CR is Radio for Change. From June 5th to the 18th, we are asking you to help us stay on air by making a generous donation. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference and all donations over $2 are tax deductible. To donate, call 0394198377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au 3CR Radio for Change
The motor car in the hands of the average man is rapidly facing extinction. Truly, the average man is a creature of strange and unorthodox habits. Take the case of Mr. Walker. Mr. Walker lives in a quiet, respectable neighborhood. He is a typical average man, considered a good citizen and of average intelligence. He is a kindly man, courteous, punctual, and honest. Good morning, Mr. Walker. Good morning to you, Mr. Geef. Lovely day. Mr. Walker wouldn't hurt a fly, nor step on an ant. He believes in live and let live. Mr. Walker owns a motor car and considers himself a good driver. But once behind the wheel, a strange phenomenon takes place. Mr. Walker is charged with an overwhelming sense of power. His whole personality changes. Abruptly, he becomes an uncontrollable monster, a demon driver. Mr. Walker is now Mr. Wheeler, a motor. Hey, Keith, watch where you're going, stupid! Hey, do you think you're on the whole road? Yes, indeed. Uh, and if you think that was uh, taken from contemporary modern day news, no, it wasn't. That was Goofy Moto Mania from 1950. And the actual release date was June the 30th, 1950. It's 67 years old. It's showing something about human nature and uh, all rights reserved to the uh, creator of that said audio. Isn't it uh, a nice kind of reminder of basically calm your farm anyway up next i'm going to be playing something from memory lane many many people would be familiar with the story of how the dutch got their um, cycle lanes and there was an article about five six years ago where everyone got very excited about there was a long form article and some video clips at the time well, i'm going to be playing some audio from that because i do believe this uh, is is another audience out there that needs to hear important stuff like this to the Pacific Connections Expo on Thursday the 8th of June from 9.30am to 2.30pm at 6 Helene Street, RD. The Pacific Connections Expo is a day of community sharing and networking with stores and performances. We welcome all Pacifica New Zealand and other multicultural communities and there will be free sausages on the day. For more details on the June 8th event as well as storeholder registrations, go to Pacific Connections Expo Facebook event. A 3CR supporter. The Netherlands has the world's largest number of cyclists, but it is also the safest place in the world to cycle. That is largely because of the perfect cycling infrastructure that can be found throughout the country. How did the Dutch get this network of high-quality cycle paths? Some think, including many Dutch themselves, that cycle paths have always been there. That is only partly true. Yes, there were some cycle paths but they were of an entirely different type than today. Narrow, of poor surface, dangerous or even absent at junctions and not connected. And cycle paths weren't really necessary. Cyclists outnumbered other traffic by far. 
after World War II, everything changed. The Dutch had to rebuild their country and they became incredibly wealthy. From 1948 to 1960, the average income got up by 44%. And by 1970, it was a staggering 222% more. People could now afford expensive goods and from 1957 on especially, this led to many more cars in the streets. Streets of mostly old cities that were not built for cars. So buildings were demolished to make room for the car. Even some of the old cycling infrastructure was removed. City squares were turned into car parks. And new developments had huge roads for motorized traffic. The daily travel distance went from 3.9 kilometers in 1957 to 23.2 kilometers in 1975. But this progress came at a terrible cost. Cycling was marginalized, it decreased by 6% every year, and 3,300 lives were lost in 1971 alone. Over 400 of these deaths were children under the age of 14. The slaughter of kids caught people on the streets to protest. Stop the child murder called for safer streets for children as pedestrians and cyclists. Their calls were heard. Especially when in 1973 the first oil crisis halted the country. The then Prime Minister told the people of the Netherlands that this crisis was life-changing, that they would have to change their ways and be less dependent on energy, but that that was possible without a decrease in the quality of life. Policies to encourage cycling fitted perfectly in that picture. The car-free Sundays to save oil were a reminder to people of what the cities looked like without cars. Around this time, the first city centres were made car-free, permanently, and the protests continued. Mass motorisation killed people, the cities and the environment. Mass cycling tours through the cities of the Netherlands and smaller protests in favour of cycling facilities created an awareness that eventually changed thinking about transport policies. In the mid-1970s, municipalities started experimenting with complete and safe cycle routes away from traffic. Financed by the national government, the first cycle routes were created from scratch in Tilburg and The Hague. In retrospect, they could be seen as the start of the country's modern cycling policies. Cycling increased in a spectacular way, in The Hague by 30 to 60 percent and in Tilburg by 75 percent. Build it and they will come, proved true in the Netherlands. So to sum it up, what caused the changes in the Netherlands? There were the problems of cities that couldn't cope with the increasing traffic, that led to demolitions and to a public outrage over the amount of space handed over to motorized traffic. 
an intolerable number of traffic deaths that again led to mass public protests. An oil crisis and an economic crisis that led to gas shortages and high prices of energy. The solution was found in the political will on a national and municipal level with both decision-makers and planners to deal with this situation by turning away from car-centric policies and making way for alternative transport, like cycling. Cycling is now an integral part of transport policies. And what success did the protesters have? The child deaths went down from over 400 to 14 last year. This street got its cycle path. This bridge didn't keep its cycle lane. Instead, it got a cycle path. This painted cycle lane became a permanent cycle path and cars were totally banned from here. It is the now famous site of the I Amsterdam sign. Earlier, also a site of one of the mass protests. The protesters would have been a lot more comfortable lying down there today. The Netherlands' problems were and are not unique. Their solutions shouldn't be that either. I'm Tash Sultana and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe, do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. And that was uh, how the Dutch got their bike lanes or cycle infrastructure. And that was from 2011. And some of the statistics in that were dating from 2010. Now, that was from the Dutch Cycling Embassy. And I'll put all the links up to that on the podcast. And if you want to look up bicycle Dutch, or one word, wordpress.com, and has some really good stuff in there, uh, long form about uh, some of the uh, data and information involved in that uh, lovely little presentation. Now, moving along kind of similar to uh, an explanation of the Dutch sustainable uh, safety policy, this next piece of um, audio is the systematic safety, the principles behind Vision Zero, and it's actually Basically, it's a really interesting kind of analysis of how you can engineer and, pl- and design out the issues that most of us do face when we're riding. So I'll just get that going now. In the U.S., traffic accidents claim 100 lives per day, along with thousands of serious injuries. If any other industry had a death toll like that, it would be shut down immediately. Countries like Sweden and the Netherlands believe that mobility is a basic human right. No one should have to risk their life to get to work, or to go shopping, or to go out with a friend. This is the premise behind Vision Zero, a family of traffic safety programs in Sweden, Netherlands, and other European countries based on principles of systematic safety. Since 1970, road deaths have been decreasing in the U.S. thanks to things like vehicle improvements and better emergency medicine. But in the Netherlands, fatalities have fallen much more drastically. If our rate had dropped like theirs, we'd be saving 20,000 lives a year. What are they doing that we haven't done? 
Dutch road safety programs used to be reactive like ours, identifying and fixing black spots where an unusually large number of crashes occurs. But for the last two decades, they have instead followed the systematic safety approach. That means not waiting for crashes to occur, but systematically eliminating the opportunities that create high crash and injury risk. Our traffic safety problems stem from two inherent human properties. First, we are vulnerable. Our bodies were not made to absorb the force of collisions with motor vehicles. And second, we make mistakes, some inadvertent, some knowingly. If all of us obeyed every traffic law all the time, there would be almost no crashes. But we're human. And a system that is safe only if people don't make mistakes is not a system that is made for humans. Systematic safety recognizes these fundamental human properties and based on them has five principles. The first is speed control and separation. There's a maximum safe speed for every type of conflict, for instance, between cars and crossing pedestrians. Roads should be designed either to separate users so that conflicts don't occur or else to limit traffic speed based on the conflicts that will occur. Where people walk in the street because there are no sidewalks and at crossings where visibility is compromised and drivers might need to make sudden stops, the target speed is 6 miles per hour. This is accomplished with raised crossings. Where people might cross the street anywhere and where bicycles are in mixed traffic, the target speed is 20 miles per hour because at higher speeds the chance of surviving a collision falls rapidly. This target can be met using speed humps, raised intersections, and chicanes. Where drivers are expected to yield at pedestrian crossings, the target speed is 25 miles per hour because at higher speeds drivers are reluctant to stop. The 25 mile an hour target can be met using narrow lanes, crossing islands that create a chicane effect, and limiting roads to only one lane per direction so that cars cannot pass each other. Where traffic meets at a 90 degree angle, the maximum safe speed is 30 miles per hour, based on the capacity of car frames to absorb side collisions. And finally, speed should not exceed 40 miles per hour unless traffic is separated by direction, based on the capacity of cars to absorb head-on collisions. Bicycles can be mixed with other traffic only up to a speed of 20 miles per hour. Beyond that, bikes should be separated. Bike lanes can provide sufficient separation on streets with one lane per direction and no parking. But on multiple lane roads and on roads where speed exceeds 30 miles per hour and next to parking lanes, bikes should have a separate path. Controlling speed means much more than just posting a speed limit. The road design has to make the target self-enforcing. Engineers around the world know how to design to allow traffic at high speed. The Dutch have also mastered how to design to prevent high speeds. The second principle is functional harmony. Roads can have many functions, such as providing access to homes or shops, hosting a bus route, or carrying through traffic. Functional harmony means that a road should avoid having incompatible functions. 
For example, a street that provides access to shops will have cars turning in and out and people crossing the street. That is incompatible with the function of carrying through traffic. Based on functionality, cities should have four types of roads. Local streets with a target speed of 20 miles per hour, no lane markings, on-street parking, and traffic diversions as necessary to keep away through traffic. Neighborhood principles with a target speed of 25 miles per hour, one lane per direction, possible bike lanes, and frequent crosswalks with crossing islands. Urban arterials with a target speed of 30 miles per hour, with signalized crossings and separated bike paths, and without high-intensity commercial activity. And finally, regional flow roads, with wide intersection spacing and little to no access function, with still higher speed limits. The third principle of systematic safety is predictability and simplicity. People make fewer mistakes when they know what to expect and when decisions are simple. For example, in Dutch cities, red pavement means a bike lane. Everybody knows that, because all the bike lanes are red. Pedestrian crossings almost always have a crossing island because it's so much simpler and therefore so much safer to check one direction at a time. And for turning left across busy roads, Dutch roads have left turn lanes and turn arrows, which take away the errors that occur when people have to search for a gap in traffic. The fourth principle of systematic safety is forgivingness and restrictiveness. Forgivingness means making it so that if somebody makes a simple mistake, it won't result in serious injury. Restrictiveness means preventing people from making the mistakes they might want to make. For example, physically separating bike lanes prevents people from parking in them. And limiting roads to one lane per direction makes it impossible to speed when there's a car ahead of you. Systematic safety has a fifth principle too, state awareness. It relates to things outside the realm of road design such as drunk driving, texting, and inexperienced operators. The mobility that automobiles and roads have brought us has meant enormous gains for human prosperity and freedom. But Vision Zero says that we need not and should not accept an epidemic of road injuries and deaths as the price of progress. European experience shows that roads can be designed to be systematically safe. Now that's something we can live with and something that every American city should be working toward. was from the Dutch Cycling Embassy and that was a presentation by Professor Peter Firth of the Northeastern University of Boston and I will put all the links to that if you want to go to northeastern.edu forward slash Peter Firth or just go to that and look for Peter Firth and I will put all the links up to that basically well they want those in North America cities properly designed we can do it here in Australia why do we have this Australian exceptionalism where we fiddle around with things and don't get it right it should be first principles should be the very first thing the first point being 
do no harm. Anyway, local news. Uh, Derebin Council have a works update about Rushall Station footbridge. It reopened last week if you've been avoiding the area. So that's the area down at Walker Street, McKellen Street in Northgate going across to the Rushall train station. And that footbridge was closed for three months because they had to do a fair bit of work on the Northgate side. But it is now reopened. Yay. And um, coming up next week, we've got... I'll just do this. Special, a really special hour-long edition of Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio. And, you know, if uh, have you seen Val's beard recently? It's pretty amazing. And um, we need uh, a donation for every whisker on Val's Chinny Chin Chin. Yes, we really do. And if you listen to the radio, streaming online or catch up later on the podcast, you should know that 3CR and us the radio, um, our little Bosco radio show, so we rely upon the support of listeners to stay on air. And Radiothon starts today, and it goes from the 5th to, looking around into the studio, the 18th of June. And we've already got a couple of donations to the show. Yippee. So if you want to make a donation, go to 3cr.org.au and look for the donate or subscribe button or go to givenow.com.au forward slash cause for Four four two, and everyone who makes a donation will have a ridiculous poem or limerick read, written about them, and will be read out live on our show next week on Monday the twelfth. And we have some very special guests in the studio, so look forward to that next week for Radiothon. Uh, we are community supporter radio, and we need your donations to support to keep us on air. So I might be back next week. So. Um, thank you for t- to the bicycle, or as I should say, the Dutch Cycling Embassy for the content for today, and a bit of Goofy as well, and uh, a bit, fair bit of food for thought there about uh, um, how the Dutch actually got their bike lanes and um, the first principles surrounding them. Yeah, give to Radiothon. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.